Thank you to the praise band. It's uh, always pretty obvious when you have musicians who know what's going to be preached on and just open up the way for the preacher and you've done that. So thank you so much. My sincere thanks to you for your invitation here. I count it an honor and a privilege to come to the Crescent and I really do mean that. I've made friends here over the years, uh, not least uh, Rob and Karen, whose hospitality has been amazing. Uh, so thanks to them and to you for the warmth of your welcome and the friendliness of uh, our interaction. Really grateful for you. And we'll be remembering you in prayer as you go on. Uh, I don't remember you every day, but periodically you come to mind and you're in a key place here in this great city of Belfast. And uh, I pray that God would continue to use you for his glory here. And so my task tonight is to open up the book of Proverbs as an introduction, and that I'm happy to do. So if you care to turn to the book of Proverbs, and we're looking at chapter one, unsurprisingly, and uh, working from that passage, particularly focusing in on what is the gatekeeper verse, the controlling principle of the book of Proverbs, and that is verse seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let me say that again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of knowledge or wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Just a word of prayer. Father God, I'm just so conscious after singing that hymn together with your people that it is your word that does the work in the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray tonight, Lord, that we would encounter the living God by his word through his spirit and that we would be changed. Plant in us, Lord, that word and bring forth the fruit of righteousness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before ever I became a pastor, I was an engineer. And an engineer the old way, I served an apprenticeship in a drawing office in an engineering firm in Glasgow. And in that drawing office, in that engineering firm, there was a chief draftsman by the name of Mr. Graham. He was a fearsome character. And his strap line to a rather inexperienced group of young draftsmen was, do not come to me with a problem. Come to me with a solution. And that strap line he repeated ad nauseum. He had a look on his face that was often mistaken for a smile. In reality, it was a grimace. 
You, you know that old children's song? I don't know if they know, play it now, but you know, you never smile at a crocodile. No, you can't get friendly with a crocodile. Well, that song reminds me of Mr. Graham. Unex, un, un, unsuspecting newbies to the office would think he was smiling and smile back. That was a mistake. And he would meet you with the question, who do you think you're smiling at? You're here to work. It was a mistake they did not make twice. That fear founded, I have to say, in a respect for Mr. Graham, worked. Aware of his position and character, knowing that our work would be inspected by him, made us think more deeply and work more diligently. People today might be shocked that such a work environment was not conducive to a good working environment, but I can tell you that inexperienced drawing office with lots of young men could very easily descend into chaos. But for the presence of Mr. Graham, we needed him. We needed Mr. Graham to set the tone in order that the work would be done. Now there is, I'm sure we agree, obviously a quantum leap between a fallible man and an infallible God. But I put it to you tonight that the principle holds. The principle holds that we are at our safest and our best when we live in the light of the reality of our Creator. Knowing God's position, knowing God's character banishes our self-worship and our nonsense at times because we need to know that God is God. We need to know that God is God and that in Him is the beginning of wisdom. And as a society loses that sense of what one writer called the godness of God, it becomes increasingly crazy. And that's what we see in the UK today. God being the source of wisdom is our datum. He is our benchmark. We need God to be God. And true wisdom and blessing can only be attained through a personal knowledge with God. So what we're talking about tonight is not some life hacks that you might encounter in, on the internet, you know, 12 ways to clean your sink or something like that. You know them, you've seen them. What we're encountering tonight is not some life hacks. It is the wisdom of God emanating from his perfect and holy character. And it is integrally linked to the connection that we have in relationship with God. And therefore, this wisdom that is given to us is for believers. I mean, it's for others too in different ways. There are things that can be picked up. Of course, there are. But this is for believers. This is for those who have a relationship with God to enable us to live godly, good lives. Chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is the, if you like, the gatekeeper verse. It is the controlling principle for the book of Proverbs. 
where that connection is made between God and wisdom. Here is our datum. Here is our starting point. Here is our benchmark. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the folly of the foolish is to reject God, despising godly wisdom. But also, the fullness of the wisdom of God is finally revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs is a composite book. Solomon composed and collected Proverbs and drew in contributors. At least we think it was Solomon. Around 900 BC, probably at a time when his heart was more for God than it was later on, things would change with Solomon, as we know. He is traditionally regarded as the author of Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs too. And he famously, when he became king, asked God for understanding, particular understanding to govern well, and God was pleased. You can read all about it in 1 Kings chapter 3. Later on, foreign travels and exotic visitors would turn his head with his many wives and concubines. And therein is a lesson for us right off the bat. That wisdom, true godly wisdom can never be isolated from our relationship with God. And that sense of listening that we have to him in every step of the road for us. Whereas Job and Ecclesiastes present speculative wisdom in some ways, asking questions. This is more applicational wisdom. What one writer called wisdom with street clothes on. It is a book given to us to guide our minds and therefore from our minds to our actions because as we think, so we do. The controlling principle, as we said of the book, being the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now we know and understand that the gospel itself begins with God. I hope we understand that because in our man-centered world it can sometimes be reversed that the gospel is about us. No, the gospel is primarily something that emanates from God who is holy and that creates the problem for us because we are sinful and therefore the necessity of a savior is placed right there front and center. But just as the gospel begins with God, so does wisdom. This is the message of Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. This beginning with God, and by the way, the God of revelation, not the God of our imagination. This beginning with God is to be our unshakable starting point. And you see, what's happening in our day is that our culture is trying to move beyond, but at the same time, borrow from Christianity. And it just doesn't work because you can't have the fruit without the roots, and they've cut that away. Back to what we said before, that true godly wisdom is connected with relationship with God. And we need to say that in our worlds. This wisdom cannot be detached from the gospel. Proverbs is for all, but in particular for believers. Our culture is in a mess. 
I've got a fair idea what it's like in Northern Ireland. I tell you, it's worse in Scotland. Watching while sanity dies, touched by the madness and lies, or the need for the wisdom of God is absolutely overwhelming. Our culture is in a mess. It's facing folly, folly like we've never seen before. When we're asked to believe things that we know aren't true, it's but the definition of insanity, really. But we have the answer. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the personification of evil, of wisdom rather, I beg your pardon, whose person and work speaks to the deepest of human needs. The Hebrew for proverb is a Hebrew word, mashal, which means in part comparison. In Proverbs, we are invited to make those comparisons between godly wisdom and godless folly. And that's what we'll seek to do here. The fear of God, writes Michael Horton, who is an American writer, is living with this grain of reality that we did not make ourselves. So it is insane to live as though we could be whatever and whomever we choose. Isn't that a commentary on our day? We fear everything except that which is ultimate, God. Has there ever been a day in which there's been so much fear and anxiety and the algorithms on the internet just make the thing worse by heightening those fears and anxieties? But when we raise our eyes to heaven, something strange happens to us. Fears of our circumstances, including life, vocations, and the condition of the environment, are so moderated, says Horton, that we are able to engage with stewardship, with hopeful responsibility, instead of utopianism or despair. In other words, instead of being all over the place in what we think we are drawn to, the wisdom of God, the fear of God is a reset. The fear of God is a mindset resulting in healthiness. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom, is the controlling principle of the book of Proverbs. And just as the gospel begins, not with us, but with God and his holy nature, similarly, God being the epitome of holiness, so also he is the epitome of wisdom. So much so that when the Apostle Paul comprehended the worked-out wisdom of God in salvation history, he wrote this in Romans chapter 11. You'll know it well. He says in a hymn of explanation or exclamation, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? More, who has been his counselor or who, who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. There is the Apostle Paul looking over the scope of history and he is filled with wonder, love and praise in terms of what he finds there, what he sees, what he knows of the unfolding plan of God's. Now, I know that there are some in our culture, or even in church, who may feel uncomfortable with the concept of the fear of God. But fear of this kind is positive. In fact, I would put it to you that fear of this kind is inevitable. 
because of the nature of God. Do you remember the experience of Isaiah, chapter 6? In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah has this vision. The heavenly creatures cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. All the earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Then Isaiah says, then I said, woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips, dwelling among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What was it that Isaiah encountered there? It was the thrice holy God, the God of glory. And the result, I put it to you, was absolutely inevitable. It was a holy, godly, healthy fear. Now, there are nuances in that word fear. It does mean awe, it does mean reverence, it does mean respect. But the word is translated as it is for a reason. And we must ask why this is so. We dare not seek to in any way domesticate the God of Israel. And there is a danger there because, because of the kind of culture that we live in. There is a temptation to try and dampen the word down a bit. We must never swallow the lie that says that we must try to get God off the hook by making his presentation a bit more acceptable in our contemporary culture. We faithfully present him as he reveals himself. True wisdom demands this, that we need God to be God. True wisdom demands that we understand that we are not the center of things, but that God is our creator and we are created contingent beings. We faithfully present him as he reveals himself. True wisdom demands that we need God to be God in the range of all that he is, love and grace and mercy too, but never, ever, ever diminishing his love and his holiness. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A true, healthy, holy fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The folly of the foolish, says Solomon, is to reject God, the very epitome, the very source of wisdom. Parallelism is a particularly Hebrew way of teaching, and it's very effective, and we see a parallelism here in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline, the positive set alongside the negative. And the implicit invitation to make the comparison, and on the comparison, make your choice. Herein is the value of this wisdom literature. Godly people have lived their lives and have experienced the world, and we have this book graciously given to us by God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that is more valuable than gold. You know, in a, in a very short time, a very short time, King Charles will be presented with a Bible by the moderator of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland. 
accompanied by these words, here is wisdom, this is the royal law, these are the lively oracles of God. And this brings with it a choice. Shall we listen or ignore what God has given us? Proverbs also brings a perspective. God is creator, we are creatures. In Proverbs, we see from the perspective of God the absolute absurdity of creaturely folly. In many ways, it's Genesis 3 replayed when we see wisdom being rejected. Genesis 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? Again, misleading. And the woman answered the serpents, We may eat from the fruit of the trees of the garden, correcting him. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God has said, You must not eat of it or touch it, or you will die. You will surely not die, the serpent told her. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, She took the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it, and the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and so they sewed together fig leaves that made coverings for themselves. So at the very heart of the fall is the rejection of godly wisdom and the embracing of a false wisdom, the folly of of the rejection of God. And in the voice of the serpent is echoed the attitude of the fool. And in our world, we are faced with these choices every day. Choices that are presented to us as being so attractive, but are in actual fact the way of folly. Choices that will take us away from the things of God so much so that we become aligned in our thinking with the things of the world. And the old hymn comes to mind, tell me the old, old story when you have cause to fear that this world's empty glory is costing me too dear. If you've ever been at a football match in a football ground at the end of a game, The crowd has been roaring and there's been much excitement, but when you stand there at the end, all you can see is empty crisp packets. The glory is gone. It's fading. That's like human, worldly glory. Proverbs is the distilled wisdom of a righteous God. To enable the believer to live well, we never outgrow the wisdom of God. You know, I park my car every day in the Wellgate Center in Dundee when I'm going into the office. And every time I reach the top of the escalator, I face a shop with a stick-on police officer. And every time I see it, it just makes me stop. Now, you're probably thinking, that's because you're from Glasgow and it's in your DNA, Jim. That's your problem. 
Or sometimes in the little villages you're going through and there's a police officer with a speed gun doing this, you know, as the wind blows them. And it has an effect. That's partly the purpose of God's wisdom. To correct us as we travel. To correct us as we go. The wisdom of God in the Word generally and particularly in Proverbs is a corrective for the converted in order that we can recognize folly and live well. Fear, folly, and lastly, the fullness of the wisdom of God. If we want to see the movement in wisdom that is ultimate and absolute, it is to the Lord Jesus Christ that we look. Charles Haddon Spurgeon told of a veteran Welsh preacher who gave some advice to a new pastor regarding the importance of preaching about Jesus. And the old minister said, young man, from every town and village and every little hamlet in England, wherever it may be, there is a road to London. And so from every text in Scripture, there is a road to the metropolis of the Scriptures that is Christ. And in Proverbs, there is at times that personification of wisdom that I think is a foreshadowing of the second person of Trinity, our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is how Jesus is described in the New Testament, Ephesians 3, his, that is God's purpose, was now that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to the eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Colossians 2, Paul prays for those at Colossae that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want to know what wisdom, godly wisdom looks like? Look at Jesus, says Paul. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul writes of the wisdom of God in Christ compared to the folly of human wisdom. He says, we preach Christ crucified, absurd to the Greco-Romans whose mantra was might is right and who despised what they, they saw as, uh, as weakness. And to Jewish people whose idea of Messiah was certainly not of their hero on a cross. But Paul talks about this subversive wisdom of God. Wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let no one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And we have as believers this tremendous resource that teaches us how to live well, how to live well for God, how to draw upon His wisdom in all the challenges that we face. And not just with young people, but with all of us, because at every stage of life we face these challenges. And to remember that every stage of life brings its challenges, but that the source of wisdom is our datum, our benchmark, that we need God. That true wisdom and blessing can only be attained through a personal knowledge of God. The rejection of godly wisdom brings the reverse. Oh, says the writer, at whatever age and stage you find yourself, learn this lesson that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. 
that gatekeeper verse for all that you are going to encounter in the book of Proverbs here week by week, where that connection is made between the wisdom of God and relationship with God. The folly of the foolish is to reject God in despising godly wisdom. And folks, we see that happening every day. And what we need to do for people today is to point them towards the source of true wisdom, our Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 3, at his baptism, Jesus stands in the water. And the Spirit descends and the Father speaks. This is a Trinitarian moment. Jesus is God-made flesh. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. And we are told in verse 21, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus is the focus of the Father and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Luke chapter 9, at Jesus' transfiguration, we are told, a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. You know, it's an amazing thing. In in Central and Dundee just now, in Sunday evenings, we're going through Matthew's gospel. And I can't tell you how many times I just catch on to myself and think, how utterly amazing a teacher is the Lord Jesus Christ. What incredible applied wisdom does he give? The voice of the Father, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. The glory of God is revealed in him, and we are to listen because he is the epitome of wisdom. The fullness of God, the glory of God, the word of God, John 1. Little wonder that people were amazed at our Lord Jesus Christ and his words. We ought to give thanks to God for the gift of this book that you'll be studying over the next number of weeks. Matthew 12, the teachers of the law were pushing at Jesus for a sign. That's always a sign of unbelief when people are pushing for a sign instead of listening to the word of God. And he refuses. He says to them that the only sign that they will see is the sign of Jonah referencing his death and resurrection on the third day. And then he says some significant words. What words of the Lord Jesus Christ were not significant? He says in verse 42 of Matthew 12, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, someone greater than Solomon is here. Someone greater than Solomon is here. Christ, the power. Christ, the wisdom of God. Let me ask you tonight are you listening? Are you listening to the wisdom of God or are you listening to the wisdom of this world? Is your internet pattern such that you're being sucked into things that are not going to do you any good? Is there a need for you to listen to what Proverbs is saying? To understand that there is a holy fear 
that will garrison your heart and protect you and enable you to live well for Jesus. I pray for myself and for you that we would learn a true, balanced fear of the Lord and to walk in his wisdom to the glory of his name. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you for the power of it. We thank you for the resource of it as we apply it to our lives. Holy Spirit, would you apply this word? Would you help us to understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? That at the end of our lives, we might look back on lives well lived because that word has been planted deep within our hearts. Oh, take glory to your name, we pray, Father, in lives that are lived for Jesus, in whose precious and wondrous name we pray. Amen. God bless you.